0: Good morning, good afternoon and good evening and welcome to the latest HR on the Offensive Podcast. It's me as always, Chris Howard from Lace Partners. Thanks for joining us now that we are... Post 100 episodes, I will never let anybody record the bloopers ever again. So thank you very much to Brandon, who last week on our 100th episode decided to make a fool out of me, which I don't mind. It's all good fun. But we're on our podcast episode 101. And for this podcast, we wanted to have a chat to somebody who is very interesting, has some very, very interesting views. We're going to go into those views in a minute. But before we start quizzing him, I'm going to get my partner in crime a name change. She decided for episodes 100 plus, I'm going to change my surname, Emma Wadsworth, who was Emma Scriven. Emma, how are you doing?
1: I'm good. It's just for the podcast. Just for the podcast. podcast. Nothing
0: to do with marriage or a (laughs) life-changing event. You just thought, I need to freshen it up a bit, so let me change my surname.
1: Exactly, exactly.
0: (laughs) Thanks for coming on and joining me in this latest pod. So... Let's introduce our guest, shall we? It is somebody who I've spoken to a couple of times. It's a chap called Guy Klein. or oh, Guillaume Klein. I should call you by your first name, the full first name, Guillaume. But then I'm going to call you Guy thereafter, because that's how I know you. But Guy, welcome to the podcast and thanks very, very much for coming on.
2: I'm happy to be here. Glad to see you all.
0: Yep it's great to it's great to have you on. We said we were going to do this. Listener, we've tried to get this podcast in a few times, but it's been postponed because of people's diaries and things like that. But we've got a few things that we want to talk about. The angle that we're going to talk about today is very much in the DE&I, the diversity, equity, inclusion space. And Guy's got some really, really interesting views. We had a chat about this uh, a few weeks ago. And so we really wanted to get Guy on just to kind of let him get his soapbox out and stand on top of that virtual soapbox and talk to us. Before we go into your soapbox and talk about everything around DE&I within the HR space, what teams can be doing to do more. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Tell us a little bit about what you do. We can do a little bit about the uh, organization that you work for. But of course, today's podcast is mainly about Guy's view on the world of all things DEI, isn't it? As
2: you said, my name is Guilherme, and it's hard to pronounce. So Everyone calls me baggy, which I think it's the easier way to go. I am a Brazilian living in London, very happy to be here. I think it's one of the dream places I had to live. So London, it's a place I want to be here for a long time. I live here with my husband. I'm a gay man, not just because of that, but I'm a very passionate and involved person in any diversity and inclusion initiatives on the personal and professional side. And I like to think a little bit of myself as my mantra, purpose in life. It's very much around it. I like to evoke change in the places I'm involved, but very much looking into underrepresented groups. This is something that I am part of. I'm a gay Latino man living in Europe. So every time I have a chance and opportunity to speak with someone about this, I love to do so, because it it gives voice to the topic and it gives opportunities for people to grow and be part of these conversations as well.
1: So Guy, can you tell us a little bit about kind of your career, what types of things you've done so far and some of the kind of D&I experiences you've had in your career as well?
2: Today, I'm actually leading the PNC External Communications for PMI for Philip Morris. PMI, has been the place that I have been for the past almost seven years now. Today, I'm in PNC in the, uh, the d and sphere. It hasn't always been like this. I started actually in marketing, very focused on brand building, and I slowly shifted from there to HR and DNI. And it happened all in this like a smooth way. I started working with employee resource groups, founding the first one in Brazil. Then got a little bit more involved with the DNI agenda, and then a bit of cultural transformation projects, which then led to like a big career change. Because then I moved from marketing to HR to DNI. I moved from consumer experience to employee experience, from external comms to internal comms. And I think the biggest change I moved from Brazil to Poland, then from Poland to the UK. So. A lot of changes have happened over the last seven years with PMI. A lot of those unexpected, but all happened in like natural smooth ways. So all good so far. And it all led to this part of what I like, which is being involved with DNI a lot.
0: This is interesting, actually. Can I just ask a, a quick question? Did your from moving from that marketing lens to the to the HR lens, has your perception over D and I? And it doesn't. I'm not talking specifically about Philip Morris, but the way in which you look about D and I initiatives, maybe from other companies, did it shift much, or is it something that because it's always been a passion of yours, it hasn't really shifted your mindset much in terms of how? the E&I is perceived and dealt with by businesses?
2: I think there is a clear difference on the way you work. I think as part of HR, it's something that should be part of your day-to-day. It should be something that you talk about. Does it happen? Not necessarily. And I think when you look at the marketing piece, there is a business happening in there. I think the way most companies see these days is if you want to be closer to your consumer, you gotta be diverse. You gotta have inclusion happening. You gotta ideate in the best way that's possible. So I think the perspectives you have for both of those are very different. The outcome it's very similar. It's creating a space that people feel comfortable to be themselves, that they can bring their unique true selves to work. Either if it's to deliver a product, to build a brand, or to create a culture. Both of those are kind of different purposes, but the meaning, the overall, it's all the same.
1: Yeah, super interesting. And have you seen any really good examples where? The kind of external facing brand team work together with the internal HR and DE&I teams to create that kind of unified approach to diversity and inclusion across the business both internally and externally? I think when you think
2: of a company a brand or a product the way I like to see if you have inclusion, you have diversity throughout, it's the end product. If you have, for example, a good advertising campaign, like for example, Ben and Jerry's, they do that very, very well. It's part of their core business to talk about diversity. So it feels truthful because you see representation across the different levels of their organization. You see a variety of voices in their organizations and you see their products being super inclusive. And when you don't have that embedded on your culture, you truly see that in a product. You have seen many cases of companies that try to do a bit of a campaign to leverage some of the topic or Pride Month, for example. And that just falls through because it doesn't happen. It's not who they are. So you cannot have one separated from the other. It's not going to work on the long run.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I think it's interesting reflecting on the back of Pride Month. And as well, I don't know if you've watched the TV show that Tom Daly did recently around the Commonwealth. Have you seen it?
2: I haven't seen it yet. It's on my watch list for this week.
1: Ah, definitely give it a watch because I think it's really interesting how he's trying to kind of change the perception within sport and he really wanted to use the Commonwealth as a kind of lever to do that. But he was saying it's not just about kind of just carrying a, flag, a pride flag. It's actually about what all these different countries still have in place in terms of their laws and the kind of culture that's in place. So it's interesting you mentioned that because that's definitely what he was talking about. But what are some of the dangers of kind of companies doing all the stuff for Pride Month? And then that not being reflected in terms of what they do internally. And I know you mentioned something called rainbow washing. So it would be good for you to just kind of elaborate on that.
2: I think rainbow washing, or for example, the other expression we can use is pink money. It's all connected to the fact of companies trying to use a cause, a movement to profit out of that. And when you say profit, it's that shallow profit because they're not reinvesting that money they're not actually helping the community to grow they're just wanting to surf that wave because it's an easy way to position yourself to be part of something that is an air quotes like trendy or something that is on the top of the discussion but you're not actually doing something to change the environment you're not doing you're not contributing to local queer on business, you're not interacting that with your chain, ensuring that you have again representation in your workforce, or that you have representation in your leadership, which is really important, or you're not doing something back to the society. So the danger is it's reputation, it's how you build a brand. Today it's no longer about like storytelling. It's about story doing. You cannot tell a story that you're doing something. You actually have to be doing something and then the story will come out of that. So it's, it's really important for people. And I think the new generations coming in place. It's all about purpose and meaningful. So if you don't do something with purpose, if you don't something do it's true, it's going to fall short. And that's going to be an impact on your business later on. You're going to lose profit. You're not going to sell as much as you're provisioning. So that doesn't pay off, let's say this way. At the end, it doesn't make sense because you're not doing what is right for people. So in relation to that, I just wanted to get your thoughts
0: on that kind of rainbow washing or pink money as you talked about approach. In your opinion, how many sort of businesses is is this a massive issue in that there are lots and lots and lots of businesses i don't want to put like arbitrary numbers on it but in my head i was like thinking are we talking about 60 to 70 or 80 percent of businesses that you tend to come across or see in social media or on platforms or how they promote themselves most of them are just undertaking this rainbow washing so do you think it's a bigger issue or it's a less of an issue because you only got a small number of companies that are doing that now because more are starting to wake up to this idea of people know when you're rainbow washing
2: I think putting in a number is always hard to do so. But I think what we often see is a company starting to talk, for example, to or with the LGBT community to their products, rather than to their people, because it is a simpler thing to do is to stamp and an f- flag on your logo and say, we are allies. But the companies that do that really well are the ones that are actually engaging with their people, listening to their, what their employees say and need to move the needle. And I think a great example that was surfacing LinkedIn this weekend or the past weekend, I think there was the Birmingham or Bristol Pride Parade. And there was a company that, when they had their company space, instead of just putting something like love is love or putting a flag over it, they're actually putting meaningful messages to that, which is ban conversion therapy for all, or there is no LGBTQ plus without the trans community. So this is actually speaks volumes to say that they're fighting for a cause. They're using their name and their workforce and their brand to do something that's been, and you clearly see the difference between someone that is just saying love is love because that's the hashtag that is picked up by Instagram these days versus someone that is actually doing something. It doesn't have always to be on the political macro sphere. But like just on your local side, talking to people, protecting the trans community by giving back, supporting, giving jobs. That's the kind of difference that it makes when you see. And you can clearly see this when you you talk to people from the organization or you see what they're doing.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think that's a really good example to have shared in terms of what you really mean by kind of rainbow washing and making a real difference. I suppose... I'm kind of sat here thinking, what is HR's role in some of this? Where there are large organizations and there's a specific d team, what should the HR team be doing? How can those teams really effectively work together? Um, and what can people in those teams be doing if they think, actually, I'm seeing something and this could be rainbow washing? What's the best way for them to call that out, really make that change within a business? I think
2: one of the important things to think these days is a lot of organizations actually have put DNI as a function itself, moved out from the HR world and actually are dealing that and creating those teams. To this day, most of those teams are still small teams or still sitting under the HR or PNC umbrella. So I think in any of those cases, it's important first of all that the HR teams are working very closely together with DNI because by doing so, you can get this spread out network. HR is involved in the business in all different manners and all different levels and through multiple different Process or even like when you think of the employee experience in all of different stages. So if HR is being there, how can HR help to deliver those messages? How HR can help to embed the practices and the behaviors and the culture the company wants to put in place into every step of the moment. So it can be from creating trainings on unconscious bias and putting that part of the roadmap to the embedding the inclusive behaviors when you have a performance management program when you're having the review and you see clearly someone being biased, that's the HR road to do so, or even creating policies and deploying those policies worldwide or on the company. When it comes to looking at the marketing practices, for example, I think it's again the partnership. So if you, if you have a business partner who is part of that group or those conversations with the marketing team, do we have the representation of voices to be speaking of that topic? If you're creating a campaign that will talk about racism, are we listening? Do we have black people as part of the conversation? Are their voices being heard? So this is the kind of elements that HR can do to embed DNI throughout the organization and be one of the biggest allies that the DNI can teams can have.
0: Oh, you just talked about listening and one of the things that we talked about beforehand was this idea of active listening. So just for our listeners, can you just kind of expand on this idea of the importance of active listening for us?
2: When we say active listening, people say, like, yes, I'm listening to someone, that means I'm paying attention. It's not as simple as that. Active listening means that you are When you're talking to someone or engaging with someone, you actually are not thinking on what you're going to answer or what you could have done if you were in their shoes in that situation. You're listening, trying to understand their perspective, what they went through, what has caused them to do so. So you're listening and paying attention with the intent to connect by doing so. I think there's like three key things that you can get out of that that really help you engage And to create connection with people is if you active listening, you can exercise empathy. You can understand how it feels to be on someone else's shoes. So it's easier, for example, for you to break your bias because you're going to get someone and understand them on a meaningful, deeper level. So you can understand maybe some things that you were doing that are contributing to someone else's pain. And I think the last element that is really important when you're practicing active listening, you build trust. So the person you're talking to will be able to share what they are actually feeling and even share maybe what's really bothering them. Because sometimes you can just touch the surface. But if you're actually listening to the person, you're going to build this trust and the person will share back to you. On a diverse and inclusion matter, it's super important that we do so. Because if you don't listen and don't build that trust, you're not going to get to the root causes of what's happening or what the behavior that is happening around in your organization. So you can't change if you don't know what's happening.
1: Yeah, I think listening is a very important first step, but I think equally we hear of a lot of organisations that do all this kind of amazing colleague listening and then they don't do anything with it. So then that causes almost more frustration for people because they're kind of explaining what's happening, how they're feeling, but then they don't see any actions from that, which I think can then become even more frustrating. But like you mentioned, I think listening is a good way to start to understand some of the kind of microaggressions that might be within your business and then how you can kind of help to stop those taking place. I suppose for people who may not have heard the term microaggression before, could you kind of explain what that is? And maybe if you've got any examples you can share of where you may have faced a microaggression as well.
2: So microaggression is a very common term used under the DNI space. Microaggression are those sentence or those snarky jokes. And again, losing air quotes, because if it's hurtful to someone, it's not a joke that people will say to try to diminish someone, to try to exclude someone from that conversation. And that can happen anywhere. One clear example of a microaggression, it's saying in a conversation, like, I don't know, in the table that, I don't know, a woman doesn't belong to the table because they should go back to the kitchen. That's like a terrible way to say it or terrible example to give. Like it is one of those kind of things you're going to hear someone to say, people will laugh it off and then you move forward. But that's extremely impactful to someone that is listening that, that they don't feel they part, they belong to that conversation. They don't feel they are part of that, that they, ha- they can have a sit at the table to discuss. And I think microaggressions, this example is a very direct, ugly one, but microaggressions don't only happen on that kind of environment that you say something, someone will say something bluntly to someone else's face, microaggression can happen all the time. They will say behind your back on a conversation that you're not present. Very likely, they will happen on the space that someone from an underrepresented group will not be part. So like in a WhatsApp group, they will make those jokes, those comments that will try to diminish someone's experience. And that happens quite a lot. And I think this is one of the things we see happening in a lot of the organizations, which is hard to tackle because people don't necessarily will either call it out or report that to the HR or even to the ethics and compliance team to make sure that this gets tackled on. Because it's really important that we, when we look at microaggressions, that we need to spot that on time. Like if someone says that you need to break this kind of like feeling of being uncomfortable and you got to be saying something, either if it's you saying on your behalf or an ally saying on someone else's behalf because this is a really important piece for an ally is to speak out when they see these microaggressions happening because maybe the person that is being on the receiving end won't be able to say something at that point. So it's really important to have the allyship happening, for example, in that moment.
0: Yeah. This is interesting. This microaggressions discussion is interesting. And as you were just talking there, Guy, I was starting to paint a picture in my mind of scenarios where you've got organisations, let's just say a retail organisation that might have 100 different branches across the UK alone with 10,000 or 15,000 employees or 20,000 employees. And that number doesn't really matter. Like how can you effectively, like culturally, how can you effectively police that when you've got an organisation that is so massive? Like how can you, I guess the, question then was playing out in my mind is, well, it then becomes a question of what is your organization's culture? Do you have that kind of inclusive culture? But then I was Thinking back to what you were saying earlier about how you started to hear and see more organisations are starting to get specific DE&I teams that are looking at this and just to play devil's advocate, and it's just a, a question that I'd like to put to you more than anything else is, what would you say to people that are thinking, look, all of these things like microaggressions can happen at a you know, hundred different branches across our network of employees, what can an actual centralised DE&I team, what can they actually do? do to really impact that is it not the responsibility of each of those individual branches to make sure that you're minimizing that so i guess it's more of a what impact can that centralized team make what value and benefits can they add do you think
2: so i think one important thing to say is the culture of an organization is built by its people it's not hr who's going to create that it's not the c-level team that will create that it's about the people If you want to be innovative, you have to give room for people to speak in meetings. You have to make sure that they have psychological safety and that you cannot just do it like in a massive way to all of your branches. So the culture, first of all, we need to be reminded that culture is created by people. But how do you influence people on this culture? And I think this is an advice. I remember when we founded like we we were founding the ERG back in Brazil that the PSC director told us is what are the big milestones that you can act upon? And that will show people that we are changing, that this is the culture we want for our organization. And by saying that, by deploying that, by implementing those, you're going to show people this is the direction we are going. This is the behaviors we should have. And also, these are the behaviors we are not accepting, we shouldn't accept it in here, and will not be tolerated. So I think, for example, if you think like smoother ways to say, for example, about inclusion. Love the fact that PMI has done a global parental policies that we move away of looking at this as a paternity maternity kind of a way, and we look into different shapes of families, different family configurations, which says very clear to people in PMI. You can be yourself, you can have your own family in the way you want, and that's fine because we're going to support you along the way. That's example number one, that you tell people that this is changing and that's what we're doing. I think another example that you go to what we don't accept more is, and I remember like doing this clearly on the past, is elevating the voice of ethics and compliance and say, please report anything you see that is not part of what the culture we want to create. Do it. If you don't do that, we cannot tackle, we cannot educate the right people, see where the pain points are coming, the biggest problems that we have, and act upon it. So whenever we launched the program, the ethics and compliance team was alongside with us. That sends a message to people that we're going to take it seriously and we're going to act upon it. So what are the big milestones that you can have in your organization that will show that? I think some of them are this day is putting a proper d team separated from HR. That's a big milestone that has happened. But like, what are the other ones that will show people that we are changing? And this is the direction we are going. So you got to learn and flow with that. And on your day-to-day, you create that culture based on those milestones.
1: I have one final question for you, Guy. And Chris is going to sigh because I always ask this question because I'm a very practical person. <laughs> <laughs> Every time. So we have a lot of HR people that listen into this podcast. So I suppose putting myself in their shoes, they're listening to this, they're thinking, we may have just done a few events for Pride Month. Where do we go next? I suppose what would be your kind of top tips, kind of any practical things that you think that those people could really take away from this? Because I imagine people are feeling quite inspired after hearing you talk. I know I definitely do in terms of if you really want to make that change, make things better. But sometimes it does feel a bit overwhelming in terms of right. Where do I actually start with this? So, any kind of top tips you've got?
2: I think it's important to think as D&I you know, in your company as a business, as a model, like not just as something that is nice to have, but like. Treat it as a business case. If you're launching your product, you probably have an awareness phase and you have a second phase that will be understanding how you're going to move into action and so on and so on. So, first of all, treat this as a business case. Don't think that an event will change something or will change the whole organization. That's probably a starting point to talk about awareness of the topics. How do you translate awareness into actionable points? How do you provide people the tools? for them to act themselves. But I think the most important thing is listen to people. If you're creating a marketing campaign, if you're creating an IT project, you're going to look at your user's experience. You're going to look what your consumer wants. So first of all, talk to your own people. What for them, for your LGBTQ plus community, for your women, what is important to them? What does the company can do to change and be a better place so they can be successful, so they can have opportunities and they can have the support to thrive on those opportunities. So talk to your own people, understand what they need, because that's going to give you more than enough direction and more than enough actionable points to move the needle. Because you don't have to sit on a table again and think of what could we do next. Ask people, involve them. I think the ERGs are a perfect way that the underrepresented groups found to express their voices. And a lot of the companies don't use that. They say that we have an ERG. Check the box. So, how do you engage with them? How do we enhance their voices? How do you turn their voices into practice and policies? So, it's kind of like continue this conversation. There is a lot of insights in there. That's a lot more than enough to have a full business case for the NI agenda in your NI area.
0: That's lovely. Thank you very much, Keith. Really, really good to just kind of get that final bit of practical advice and guidance on what, uh, what our listeners can be doing next. So, thank you very much. For, and thank you to, well, yourself and ems for joining me today this has been a really really interesting podcast as it always is when we talk about these topics so hopefully um our have found that very very useful of course you can get these podcasts wherever you get your podcasts so whether that's through spotify soundcloud stitcher apple podcasts you can download it you can give us a review if you like preferably five star ones instead of one star ones and that chris is an absolutely terrible host i'm a very sensitive soul so uh you know if you want to write nice things in the comments about me then uh, i have no problem with that whatsoever but ems thank you very much for joining me as always
1: thank you for having me back
0: yeah you're always welcome back you know that and Guy, fantastic to have you on thank you very much sir
2: very happy to be part i love working with people from lace have worked with a lot of you guys and it's a pleasure to be back and happy to be part of this conversation today
0: it's been great to have you on thank you very much to you guys thank you very much to the listeners and we will see you next time on the hr on the offensive podcast Bye-bye.